Chapter Two of Captain Ted by Mary T. Wegeman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Two, Gathering Clouds. Teddy's brown eyes cast one bewildered look at Brother Michael, a look that went to the good old man's heart, and then the boy was up the granite steps into the Father Rector's room with a bound. The red glow of the sunset sky through the stone arched window the snow-wreathed vine tapping against the pane, the grave, clear-cut, kindly face that turned at his brusque entrance, made a picture on our young captain's memory forever. "'Is there bad news for me, father?' he panted. "'Yes, Teddy,' a kind hand was laid on his shoulder. "'Bad news, my boy.' "'My mother?' gasped Teddy quickly. "'Not of your mother, my son. Your father.' "'My father!' A low, sharp cry broke from the boy's lips. Dad! He is very ill, the rector went on with merciful haste. He had a stroke of paralysis this morning. It was brought on by business losses. Your mother has sent for you, my boy. You must go home and comfort her. Will, will Dad die? asked Ted, in a voice that sounded strange and hard to his ears. That I cannot say, my son, was the grave answer. The doctors fear the worst. But God is good. We will all pray for him. In any case, your place is by your mother's side. You must be strong, brave, manly, for her sake. You will be a true son to her, I know. And remember, if St. Elmer's can do anything for you, my boy, you have friends here, friends who never forget. There, there, let the tears come, Ted. Don't mind me. Thank you, Father, but they won't, said the boy huskily. I... I, Dad isn't, isn't dead yet, is he, Father? Oh, no, no, and there is still hope for him, my boy. There is always hope while there is life. I have had your grip sack packed, and there is a train within the hour that will get you home at midnight. You have no time to lose. Then it was all like a dim twilight dream to Teddy, the hurried parting from St. Omer's and the gathering dusk of the white evening, the brief, hushed preparation, so different from the riotous joy of going home the tender sympathy of his teacher's hand-clasp, the odd constraint of the boy's goodbyes, the sudden, solemn silence that seemed to have fallen on the glad music of his young life. The supper-bell clanged its cheery summons as he passed down the wide staircase. The merry shouts of the little boys echoed from their playroom. The deep, clear note of the Angelus came from the high clock tower. All the old familiar sounds seemed strange and far away tonight. It was as if he had been lifted into ways apart that did not clearly reach. Little Bob Connors waited at the end of the long corridor, slipped a small, half-frozen hand into Teddy's, and said in an odd voice, "'You're not going for good, Ted.' "'I—I I don't know, Bobby,' was the low answer. "'It's father, you know, and—and—' "'I know, and I'm sorry for you, Ted,' continued Bob, rushing in with a ten-year-old daring where neither angels nor Father Bolton just now dared tread. I'm, I'm sorrier than I can tell, Ted, and here's the fountain pen Uncle Rob sent me Christmas. I want you to take it, Ted, for keeps. I ain't never forgot about the chapel window. And poor little Bob broke down, with an irrepressible sniffle. Shoo, we're squaring that long ago, said Ted gruffly. I don't want to take your pen, Bobby. Please, Ted, please. I want you to have it. It's a fine one. Never squirts or blots. Take it to remember me by, Ted. All right, then, was the answer, 
and Ted gave a hard squeeze to the little frozen fingers that held the gift, and Bobby seemed to vanish in the twilight shadows as Father Bolton stopped to speak a paternal goodbye and, God bless you, Ted. And then the college sleigh that had carried off so many merry whooping crowds to the depot was at the door, and springing into the silent, empty seat, Ted was whirled off down the snowy avenue, while the lights twinkling from the gray stone windows of St. Elmer's seemed to glimmer through a mist, a new, strange mist, in Captain Teddy's eyes. But the plunge into the life, the light, the roar, the bustle of the great depot was a bracer. A night journey alone was something new and stirring in Ted's experience. The mist cleared from his eyes under the flash of the arc lights, and the strange weight on his heart lifted as he felt the strong, cheery pulse of the life around him. There is still hope, Father Bolton had said, and at fourteen a whisper of hope is enough. One does not need a whole brass band to quicken the young heartbeats again. And there was a big rush at the ticket window, and our young captain had to hold his place strenuously against the push behind, for there was a great political convention in Ted's native city that was drawing excited crowds, and the thrill of it all was in the air. Extra trains were on, and the great engines on the tracks were shrieking and puffing impatiently. A dollar for your place, youngster, said the big brown-faced man, who had just dashed in, breathless with haste and excitement. I've a lot of baggage to check and want my ticket right off. A dollar. No, thank you, sir, said Teddy, flushing. I don't want a dollar, but you can have my place. I have no baggage to look after. And he stepped out of line. Thanks, said the other. You haven't learned the grab game yet, I see, my lad. Hustle to the end of the line, or you'll get left as generally happens to boys of your pattern. Or stay, I'll buy your ticket for you. Where are you going? New York by the next train, answered Ted. All right, I'll fix things for you. Never mind the money now. Just take Dolly out of this push and wait in the ladies' room for me. Dolly? exclaimed Ted, looking around blankly. That's me, said a little voice from between two stout ladies at his right. Oh, take me out of this crowd, please. I'm being just mashed to death. And a very small young person, who seemed chiefly furs and curls, looked up at him beseechingly. The two stout ladies held their own, and feathers and furs seemed mixed inextricably. But Captain Ted was equal to the emergency. With a sudden swing of his arm, he caught Miss Dolly out of the crush, and perching her on his broad shoulder, bore her triumphantly into the clear space beyond, where he set her down to straighten her ruffled plumage like a bewildered little pigeon. It was the only way to get you out, he apologized. You mustn't mind. I whisked my little brother through a push that way many a time. But I'm not your little brother, said Miss Dolly severely. I suppose, though, you had to get me out, or I would have been squeezed to death. I ought to have stayed in the carriage, as Jack told me. Jack? echoed Ted in surprise. Yes, my father. I always call him Jack. He likes it best. It was Mama's name for him, and she is dead. Oh, I see, muttered Ted softly. We were in such a hurry, said Miss Dolly in her silvery treble. Jack had a telegram that he must come right back. We've been spending the Christmas holidays with Grandma in the country. She wanted to keep me, but Jack said, No siree, I couldn't do without my little housekeeper. And he couldn't, continued Miss Dolly with a shake of her curls. He is such a stupid old Jack. He can't even sweeten his tea. And when I am at grandmother's, he never goes home at all, just stays at his club with men. He says things don't go right at all when I'm away. They had reached the ladies' room, and Miss Dolly swung herself up into a cushioned seat, 
looking small but important. "'Aren't you a little young for that sort of business?' asked Ted curiously. "'I'm seven and a half,' answered the young lady. "'How old are you?' "'Nearly fourteen, said Ted. "'That's a great deal older than seven and a half, isn't it?' asked Miss Dolly reflectively. "'It's almost grown up.' "'Well, it's getting there,' replied Ted, who felt ten years older since the sun went down on Fort Costco this evening. "'I thought you were a boy,' said Miss Dolly in a disappointed tone. "'I am,' answered Ted. "'Just a big boy yet. Teddy is my name. Teddy Thornton.' "'A good name,' said a hearty voice behind him, and Miss Dolly's Jack clapped him on the shoulder. "'A good name and a good fellow, I'll be bound, though I haven't time to improve our acquaintance, for my train is being called now. Here's your ticket, my boy, and thank you.' "'And the money for it, sir,' said Ted, taking out his pocketbook. "'God bless me, I forgot the money. I haven't time to wait for it now. Send it to me some other time. Here's my card. Dolly, dear, we haven't a moment to lose. Come.' "'Good-bye, good-bye, good-bye.' called the sweet little voice, as Jack's housekeeper was whisked through the opening gates, where so many ways touch for one swift moment to part forever. Goodbye, Teddy! And with a last glimpse of the fluttering feathers, Ted's quaint little fairy friend vanished. He looked at the card he held, John J. Jarvis Dunmore, was its inscription. And then his own train was called, and he hurried on to take his place, and be whirled away through the darkness to meet the sorrow, whose thrilling whisper reaching over these long miles of space, had called him home. And as he sped along over the shadowy hills and faint gleaming river, through the flashing lights of city and town, and out into the calm, starlit spaces beyond, the fear and grief that had been stifled for a few bright moments woke again in Teddy's heart. His father, his brave, strong, loving, tender dad, dying. Perhaps, perhaps, ah, Teddy's thoughts and lips could not shape the terrible word dead. If it had been his mother, his gentle, frail, delicate mother, it would not have seemed so strange, so bewildering, so incomprehensible. She was ill so often. Ever since he could remember, he had been hustled off so that his shouts and noise should not reach her ears. But his father, his big six-foot dad, who was always cheery and well, who never had aches or nerves, dad stricken down in all his health and strength and cheery life, it seemed impossible. And then, for it had been a tough day on him, Captain Ted's curly head sank back on the velvet cushioned seat, and he drifted off into a dreamland, where Burly Bill and his pubs were charging a snowy ticket office, and a little golden-haired fairy sat under a blue banner pouring out Jack's tea, while Teddy himself, armed with a fountain pen, was squirting ink on all who came near. And then, then... Was it Brother Michael shaking him from his pillows in the dormitory? Was it the rising bell of St. Elmer's clanging so loudly in his ear? Wake up, youngster! Wake up! The gilt buttons of the conductor flashed before his half-open eyes. You don't want to stay here all night! The lights of the great station were gleaming around him. His journey was at an end. He was home. End of Chapter 2 Recording by Maria Therese